open them up to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Uh, in, our, in our passage this morning, we are going to see a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees. We, we've been talking about just what Jesus has been doing and just this time in his life. This is Wednesday. This is the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And he's been teaching. He's been letting the, the nation of Israel know that they have been set aside and that God is going to do something new. He's going to replace them. And we understand that that's why God today is working through the church. And here this conflict with the Pharisees is going to intensify. And he is going to give us a, a warning about the Pharisees. So in front of the Pharisees, he's going to tell people, don't follow them. And then he's going to pronounce a curse on the Pharisees. And so this week, we're going to look at Jesus, what he says about not following the Pharisees. And then next week, we're going to look at the curse, the curses that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees. Now, you'll remember last week, these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus, and they're asking him questions that they think that he won't be able to answer. And he answers them. And then he asks them a question that they can't answer. And in those questions, Jesus does address those things, but he actually lays out the marks of spiritual maturity. He identifies what is missing from their lives. And, um, and, so, and those four things that he pointed out are first, that people who are mature have completely sacrificed their life to follow Christ. They are made in God's image. They have given themselves to God. The second thing is that people who are mature trust the power of God and the word of God. They have faith. In addition to that, people who are mature have a, a love for God that dominates their life and they reflect the love for other people because they love God. And the final point that Jesus makes is that people who are mature and people who trust God have built their life on Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. All of those things are missing from the Pharisees' lives. And so Jesus is going to point out what drives them and what motivates them. Now, this is a very important lesson for the church. This was important for Israel, it was important for the disciples, but it's important for the church. In some ways, these things are what are what identify everything that is wrong with the church. Like you'll see churches that, that they just go through these constant challenges and struggles and, and, and they, they'll have conflicts and they come apart and then they kind of rebuild and then there are more conflicts and they come apart and then they just rebuild. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that people in church look at the wrong things as they identify leaders and place people in positions of leadership and then follow them and emulate their example, they're identifying the wrong things. And, and so this is about, this passage, it is about false teachers. It's about making sure that we don't pick the wrong people to follow, to listen to, and to learn from. So there's a big picture important thing. But here's the other thing. Satan doesn't just work through false teachers. He works through believers at times. And these are things that any one of us can struggle with. 
And I think in the, in the big picture, they identify false teachers, but every single one of us needs to look at these things, think about these things, and evaluate these things because Satan uses them at one time or another on every one of us. And so we need to be able to recognize it in others, but we need to be able to recognize it in ourselves as well. So let's look at this, and I want to just, just start by indicating two things. Like if you, if you have your Bibles, look at verse, the, the end of the chapter, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. And as Jesus is going to rebuke these Pharisees publicly and as he's going to pronounce a curse on them, the thing to remember is that Jesus is always pursuing repentance. Every discipline, every conflict, every, all of those things are all an opportunity for repentance, which is Jesus' heart. Listen to how at the end of all this, how Jesus is going to characterize his attitude toward these people. He says in verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. At the end of this whole thing, Jesus is not, he doesn't hate them. He's just saying, oh, I would have gathered you, but you were not willing. So it's important to just see that heart for repentance and care. But the other thing that we see is that, um, and we'll look at this next week, but I want to point out verse 13 and 15, which follow our passage. You know, this is so important because eternity is at stake. Matthew 23, 13 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Jesus says to these leaders, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. And you yourselves are not going to enter it. Verse 23 through 15, when we follow the wrong people, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. When we follow the wrong people, there are eternal consequences. And so let's jump into this passage. We want to make sure we're not following hypocrites. So let's consider these four things that we're going to see this morning. One is that false teachers divorce doctrine and practice. False teachers are driven by pride. And then there's a warning that we should not follow, emulate, or support false teachers. And then Jesus wraps it up with a serious contrast where he just says believers are to be marked by humble service. So let's look at this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. We're going to read these first chapters. So here's the first point that false teachers divorce doctrine and practice. Look at this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. 
Now think about this. Jesus has gone through this battle with the Pharisees, and if anything would make the Pharisees hate Jesus, this is it. He is now in front of all these crowds that are listening, in front of the Pharisees that he's just silenced. He is now going to talk about the Pharisees to his disciples and to the crowds. Now, this is an important thing. This is a public rebuke. And it also is Jesus laying on the, on the people and on his disciples. He's saying, you need to make sure you don't follow these people. Now, the scribes, they were experts in the law, not just Pharisees. Um, all the different religious groups had scribes. And so those were the people that studied Scripture. And one of the things we learn is that they, as they studied Scripture, they would always miss the point. They would twist it. They would teach it incorrectly. They, they drew wrong conclusions from it. But these were experts and Pharisees. Now, when you think Pharisee, think back to the Apostle Paul that God saved. And you think about that heart of redemption. The Apostle Paul was there, and he was a part of this group. And he was actually, when the church started in Acts chapter 7, he's holding the coats of the people who kill Stephen. And then Saul begins to persecute the church. And that's one of the things that we see is even for this group of people, there is hope because obviously God saves Paul. Now this is what it says about these people who are supposed experts. In verse 2 it says that the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, in synagogues, there's a picture of a synagogue. Um, there was a seat, and it was the seat of Moses. It was, it was people who sat, and they spoke for God. Here, here's a, here's a, another picture of one. And this kind of represented the authority. Like, Moses was a spokesperson for God. And these teachers claimed to speak on God's behalf. Now, don't... Now, do you think about anything that stands out as just an amazing contradiction? The people who sit on Moses' seat, who say, no, listen to me, I will teach you, are the very ones who hated Jesus, who opposed Jesus, who were arguing with Jesus. Like, who is Jesus? He is God who wrote the New Testament, who wrote the Old Testament. He's their God that they supposedly worship, and yet they opposed him. So these, they, they claim to speak for God. And you think about James chapter 3, verse 1, where it just says, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. This group of people had no reverence for the fact that they stood before people, they read God's word, and they gave guidance, and they taught things, and then they didn't live in accordance with that. Um, this is what Jesus says here. He says, so do and observe what they tell you, but don't do as their works that they do, for they preach and they do not practice. Now, here's one of those things that as we think about, um, Jesus was always contrasting his teaching with their teaching. Remember Matthew chapter 5 where he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, there was always this contrast between his teaching and the teaching of the Pharisees. As we read the second half of chapter 23, Jesus is going to actually go through and identify some specific things that the Pharisees misrepresent. So this is not like this blanket saying, obey everything they say. Jesus is talking about as they sit in Moses' seat, when they read the Bible, when they explain it accurately, 
do what they say. Have you ever um, met somebody who was a, or heard of a person that was a great teacher, a powerful teacher? They would open up God's word, they would read it, they would preach it, and you just listen to it and you go, man, that's, that's accurate, that's true, that's right. I think about this uh, one pastor was, was preaching, it did a, like a 12-year series on marriage. And at the end of that 12-year series, long series on marriage, it comes out that he's having an affair with the piano player while he's sitting there in church preaching on marriage. Or great apologists, they get up and they speak and they teach, and there's a big thing in the news right now about a, a famous person, and, and as, they, as they taught and as they defended Scripture and as they taught truth, the things they were saying were so good, and, and it was just right on. And then it comes out that they're living this life of hypocrisy. Now, have you ever thought about how that impacts the truth? Um, when, when a person actually says something that's true, and then you find out they're living in contradiction to it, and the way that that can discredit the truth. And what Jesus is saying here is that what God said is true. God's word is true. And just because a hypocritical person says it doesn't make it not true. Like, think about a person who, um, think about that wife, think about a family. Think about people who are abused by people in positions of spiritual leadership, and they listen to them speak, and they just think, yeah, but I know what really happened. Or, or the moms and dads whose kids have been abused, and they just say, yeah, but I know what really happens. And just that temptation to say, I hate everything, I hate church, I hate religion, it's all just a bunch of lies. And what Jesus is saying is these Pharisees are terrible people. You should never follow them. But when they say things that are true, God's word is true no matter who says it. And we don't throw out a faithful message because of an unfaithful spokesperson. And so Jesus is going to tell them that. Do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. Because they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. And these are hypocrites. You know, I think a lot of times um, when we're looking for leaders, we can misidentify spiritual maturity. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, man, spiritual mature, spiritually mature people, look, they do this and they believe this and they say this. And it's because we don't actually know how to identify spiritual maturity. And one of those things is do people actually do the things they practice or does what they come up with that applies to everybody else but not them? I've known spiritual leaders who, who they're just like, oh, yeah, everybody should be generous and they should give. But they don't give. See, giving is for other people. It's not for them. Oh, everybody in the church, you should serve. You should show up and you should serve in this way. But they don't ever show up to serve themselves. Because serving is for everyone else. It's not for them. You know, spiritual leaders are not an exception to what God says. I, I remember talking to some spiritual leaders one time, and they, were, they got all these people together, and they were talking about this other person that nobody had ever spoken to. And I just remember going to them and saying, uh, hey, 
isn't this wrong? Doesn't the Bible say that if you have an issue with somebody that you go to them directly? And here you are in your group talking about somebody, but you've not talked to them. You didn't gather up all these people and tell them to go to the person. You gathered them up and say, come tell me about them. I said, isn't that wrong? <laughs> you want to know what the answer was? They said, yeah, we're elders. So we're, we're an exception to that. Can I just tell you, um, no elder, no pastor, no leader is an exception to what God says. They are to be examples of what God says. These were hypocrites. You know, 1 Timothy tells us about this. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul's telling Timothy, don't make that mistake. He says, keep a close watch on yourself. That's your life. And a close watch on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, Matthew 7, 14 says this, the passage on the wide and narrow road, and Jesus just says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You know, this is, do you notice there, sheep's clothing. See, false teachers look good. If they didn't, nobody would follow them. And Jesus is just saying, we need to, we'll know them by their fruits. And then Jesus is going to address an internal heart issue. And he's basically going to say, these leaders, um, they are leaders that are driven by pride. They're driven by pride. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They completely lack compassion. They don't care about other people. They care about themselves. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love places of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They're in it for themselves. They're driven by what they want. And, you know, that's the issue is that when your heart isn't right, everything you do will be wrong. When your heart is right, you will do the things that are right. And so they didn't deal with what was in their heart. They were focused on externals, and they wanted attention. Let me tell you a little bit about phylacteries and tassels. So a phylactery, I don't know if you could see this picture that well, but you see that little box on the forehead of those two men? This is something that the Jews did is they actually took Scripture and they made a little box and they stuck it on their forehead, and they put some things in it. They put a few verses in it. And, and that was an over-literal interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and a couple other places. And then, um, so there's another example of somebody, a little box on their head. You could see that more clearly. And then they would tie it on their hand. So you could see the box, and then there's that, 
um, that leather strap that goes down to the hand. And so they were actually taking pieces of verses of Scripture, tying it to their head, tying it on their arms. And this was like the way that they would say, oh, look how righteous we are. Look how we obey. And the other thing is they, they broadened it. So they wanted to show, no, I care more about God's word. I've strapped a bigger um, box to my head than the next person. And then they lengthened their tassels. Um, you can see those little blue strings on the, on the, on the, the, the coats. Those are the, the tassels. And what the Bible tells us, actually in the Old Testament, the Jews were told to put tassels on their robes. And every time they saw these tassels, they were supposed to remember to obey God. And this is what I think is interesting. Did you know that Jesus had tassels on his clothes? Jesus actually did that. He put tassels on his clothes. Now, most people don't realize that. They don't know that he did that. And don't you find that interesting? That for the scribes and Pharisees, uh, they put these long, ta- they made their tassels bigger. They wanted to make sure everyone else saw their tassels. Where Jesus put the tassels on because he was supposed to, and when he was healing people, um, there were a couple times that it said they just wanted to touch the tassel on his clothes, and then God would heal them. And so Jesus had tassels, but a lot of times we don't notice that, but you don't forget that the Pharisees had tassels, and it's because Jesus didn't do it to be noticed by others. Jesus did it to remind himself. The Pharisees and scribes had an amazing way to take the very things that God commanded and and do them in a way that disobeyed God. When, when, When God told the Israelites, it's interesting too because it's in Deuteronomy 6 where Jesus quoted last week to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these things that I'm telling you today shall be on your hearts and you shall teach them diligently to your children and you should bind them on the frontals of your forehead and on your hand. And basically all that's saying is that God's law should be on your mind. God's law should affect every single thing you do. It should control how you think and it should control how you act. And they took that And they obeyed it in a way that was the exact opposite of how God intended. It was not in their heart. It was not their desire to obey God. It was their desire to get attention for themselves. They were prideful. They were arrogant. And everything they did to be noticed by others. Have you thought about what Jesus said in that regard? He said, in the same way, you let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everything that we do is supposed to point to Jesus. It's supposed to give him credit. It's supposed to give our Father in heaven credit. We don't do things so we can get the credit. We do things so that God will get the credit. The Pharisees reversed that. Everything that they did was for themselves. Now, just think about that in your own life. Are there ever at times that you want other people to know what you did? Like if you give somebody a gift, you want to make sure they know, I gave this to you. Um, There's a lot of times that as people go through life, everything they do, they do to get credit for themselves. One of the ways you know that is that there's a lot of times people will work hard and everybody gets thanked except them and it offends them. You ever been offended? You ever worked really hard and you and five other people worked really hard and the other four people get mentioned and you're totally left out? Ever happened? That offend you? 
I mean, you got to ask yourself, why? Why'd that offend me? See, John, when all the crowds started following other people and his disciples came and said, hey, everybody's leaving us and they're going after Jesus, what was John's response? John's response was to say, he must increase, I must decrease. See, a lot of times we, we walk on eggshells in the church, and, and it's good for us to see and appreciate and thank people. But you want to know something? If you work hard, if you're diligent, and you put your all into something, and everybody gets mentioned instead of you, you should be thankful for that. Because guess who doesn't miss what you do? God. God notices everything you do. He sees your heart. He sees everything and everything that you do. And when nobody else sees it, you know God does. And you know what? If your desire and motivation and purpose is to please him, you'll actually be glad that you were forgotten. Because every time you're remembered, every time somebody tells you how great you are, what a good job you did, that is a temptation for you that you have to say, okay, no, don't take the credit for myself. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the people who appreciate you. Say thank you to people when they go, oh man, you did this great, thanks. Uh, appreciate their thankfulness, but in your heart, you want God to get the credit, but not them. No, they, they broadened their phylacteries, they lengthened their fringes because they wanted to make sure that everybody noticed them. They actually loved themselves instead of loving God. And they used the verse that said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they used that to, to draw love to themselves instead of them giving love for God. This next section that we're going to see is really important, and that is this. False teachers should not be followed or emulated. You know, Jesus is about to leave, and the disciples are going to be the religious leaders Jesus' disciples and the crowds, and they need to know, who do we follow? What should we be like? And there's a huge temptation when you grow up in an environment around people to do the things you see other people do. That's one of the big problems with teaching things and not doing them. A lot of times I think this is, this is a huge issue for parents. It was something that Michelle and I thought significantly about. And it was one of the, actually the huge blessings of, of being a youth leader, a youth pastor, was, was I would go to church, and, and I'm going to youth group, and, and you preach sermons, you're trying to minister to people, and there were kids that they would be so convicted, and they would hear God's word, and they would want to change. And then there's other kids that they would listen. It didn't matter how much of God's word they heard. Man, it had no impact on their life. They didn't care. They didn't have a heart for it. And then you, over the years, you think back, okay, what was the common denominator it didn't matter what you did or said. It had no effect on your life. You want to know what that was from? One of the things I noticed was from parents who talked about God. They said they were Christians and they believed in God, but they didn't actually do things. Oh, no, church is a priority. That's a very important thing for people, but they didn't go to church. Oh, no, we should love our enemies, but they hated their enemies. Yes, everybody should read their Bible, but never did they read their Bible. And what you realize is that actually sometimes people unteach with their life 
what they say with their mouth. And so actually the, the most devastating false teachers in many cases are the ones who preach the right message but then model and live something different. That's what these Pharisees did. And so Jesus is going to tell his disciples, do not follow them, do not follow their example, and don't support their system. Look at this in verse 8. But you are not to be called rabbi. Now, what did he just say about the Pharisees? They loved being called rabbi. They wanted everybody to call them rabbi. And he says to them, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. See, these are people that they wanted people to look to them. They wanted the credit. They wanted the titles. And it's amazing to me, and you take, like, their whole religious movements where we call, we call the leaders in the, that movement father. And it's just such a disobedience of this passage that you would label all your leaders father and have everybody running around calling them father. And it's not just the label that's disobedient in that. There's all kinds of things here that go along with that same teaching. But as people who are so interested in titles, they want to be addressed, they want honor. And this is saying, no, don't pursue honor. Don't pursue the titles. Uh, because we have one leader, one teacher, one father. See, for them, it was all about them, and Jesus was saying, don't pursue that recognition. Don't support their system. You know, when, have you ever thought about why sometimes you'll have these prideful, arrogant leaders who do things and everybody crowds around and they want to be a part of that system and they support it? Jesus telling his disciples, don't support that system. Don't be a part of it. Don't get sucked up into it yourself. Uh, don't mislead other people by giving credit to systems or teachers that should not have credit. Don't do that. Don't get wrapped up into that. That will destroy you and destroy others. I think about Psalm 15:4. One of the marks of a person of integrity is it says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. See, as believers, we need to recognize and not support those kinds of religious systems or support that kind of thing. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons why there, there's, there's nothing wrong with honoring somebody. The Bible says that we are to submit and follow our spiritual leaders, um, the, the leaders God's given in the church. Um, obey those who, give you, who have charge over you and who give you instruction in the Lord. That's Hebrews, Hebrews 13. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and esteem them highly because of their love. But here's the question. Are, are, are there leaders who they lead and they guide and they teach and God's words and authority and they're pointing people to Christ? They're pointing people to the authority of Christ. When they go to you, they don't go to you and say, no, I'm in charge and you have to do what I say. Or do they go to you and do they open up a book and do they say, hey, this is what God says. This is what God says you're supposed to do. Where does the authority lie? Is it in them 
or are they pointing you to God through Scripture? And this is the other thing, too, is that it says in this passage, we're all brothers, right? We're all brothers. Um, spiritual leaders are not like in a class all by themselves. They are first and foremost just a brother in Christ. And so what that means is that spiritual leaders should hold you accountable to obeying Scripture, but you should hold them accountable to obeying Scripture. You ever go to a spiritual leader and just say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with something that I'm seeing? Here, this is what God says. Not show up with your opinion. Oh, I think what you did is stupid, and you shouldn't be doing that, and, and, and this is a vote, and I got 10 friends, and we're all agreeing we should do this other thing, so we're going to outvote you. You represent us. You're our leaders, and we tell you what to do. Or just sometimes as, as a, just a brother in Christ, can you go to a leader and just say, hey, this is, this is what God says, and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not seeing that. I want to encourage you. See, that's how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Leaders hold people accountable to, to what God says, and people hold leaders accountable to God's word. Because do you know who's in authority? God. Not people. You know, when Moses was up on the hill, he was the speaker. He represented God. But you want to know what Moses never did? He didn't go up on the mountain, and after he'd spent time with God and his face was glowing, he didn't come down from the hill and then say, okay, guys, bring some sacrifices to me and sacrifice to me. He didn't take God's glory. He never put himself in the place of God. And that's what these people did. They put themselves in the place of God. They loved all those respectful greetings. That glory should have gone to God. And here's how Jesus wraps this up in verse 11 through 12. And he just reminds them, you are to be the opposite of the false teachers. Be the opposite. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this is an expression of a high view of God. Remember when Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment, and he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. See, we love God, and because people are made in God's image, we love them. Part of serving God is serving the people that God puts around us. Remember, well, we'll get to this Matthew 25 where Jesus says, in that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And Jesus actually, right before he goes to the cross, he's been talking to his disciples, and they're, they're wrapped up into this pharisaical kind of leadership. And every time Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, they always say, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Like all these fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus just says, the greatest person is the one who serves everyone else. And you want to know what Jesus is about to do? At the Last Supper, everybody's going to go into the room, and Jesus is going to strap on a towel, and he's going to wash everybody's feet. He's going to emphasize this lesson by what he does. And then he's going to say, if I, being the great teacher, wash your feet, you wash each other's feet. And so Jesus is going to, about to be an even more powerful example of this, but he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, that's a high view of God. 
That's just saying I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to serve God. When God wants me to have recognition, when God wants me to get a promotion, I'll get it. But in the meantime, I'm just here to humbly do what God says. I'm not going to bring attention to myself. If God ever brings attention, then that's, that's God's business. And even when God does that, I'm going to recognize that he deserves the glory. It's an expression of a high view of God's word. So the question is, how do we work on humility? How do you work on humility? Humbling yourself before God and leaving your future in God's hands. I think there are some key passages in this, and I'll just list them off. Um, but one is to see yourself accurately. See, for a lot of people, their view, when they think about humility, it's like, oh, man, I am great. I am awesome. But I'm just not going to tell other people about that. That would be prideful. Now, I am the best person here. But I'm going to keep that to myself. In fact, that's how I'm so humble. It's because I'm not even going to tell you how great I am. And, you know, there's, and there's kind of a problem with that. We need to think about ourselves. For by the grace given to me... I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When you have sound judgment, you'll be humble. You have so many flaws. There are so many things wrong with you. And you don't even see them all. So if you think accurately about yourself, that leads to humility. We have a culture where everybody, we just tell everybody how great they are. And we, we, we take little kids, we think they have a self-esteem problem, and we just, we just tell them how wonderful they are. I remember our kids, when they were little, we used to tell them how smart they were because they were doing really well in school. And I remember one time, one of our kids was like five years old, and they were trying to instruct one of their teachers at school. We went to a, you know, we went to this like te parent-teacher conference, and the teacher was just going, "Yeah, you know, uh, I was doing some math problems on the board, and your kid just shouts out from the back, that's wrong.'" And she's like, she's looking at the board, and she's like, "Um, I was just thinking to myself." She's like, I double-checked my work. You know, your kids are pretty smart. And I thought, did I make a mistake? And then I just went over it. And I'm like, that's not wrong. What it was was she was just starting to teach them uh, multiplication. And so she was teaching them that 2 times 3 is 6. And my kids were still wrapped up on math where 2 plus 3 is 5. And she's like, she's looking at the board. So they, they were pretty smart. They knew a lot. And so we're talking to our kid. I just remember saying, you know, you're five. You don't know that much. When you're sitting in class, your teacher knows more than you. And yes, you learned math really well. But your teacher went to school, has a degree, and there's a reason that they hired her to teach and they didn't hire you to teach. I'm just trying to help them think this stuff through. And my kid goes, well, you know, that's true. I don't know everything but I do know an awful lot. <laughs> Michelle and I had to take a step back. We were trying to encourage our kids. We were trying to build their self-esteem. And I'm thankful that when my kids were about five years old, we realized we were headed the wrong direction. And we needed to make some adjustments. We need to think about ourselves with sound judgment. You know, humility is following Christ fearlessly. It's following Christ fearlessly. It's just saying, you know what? Life is above my pay grade. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. 
And however it works out, that's up to him. He's in charge. I'm not going to sit around and go, I'm going to figure out what's best. I'm going to figure out how to manage my life. I'm going to do what I think is best. No, humility is saying, God, you are in charge. You have a right to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what you tell me. You know, the third thing, is, and, and this is something that I think is pretty significant, it is trusting and trembling before God's word. Isaiah 66, 2, but to this one I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, that's that conviction, just realizing, no, I'm wrong a lot, and who trembles at my word. You know what the problem with these leaders, these Pharisees were? They misrepresented God. They placed themselves over Scripture, and they were not afraid. They disregarded God boldly instead of saying, no, it's not my doctrine that matters. It's what God says that matters. Another thing is that it's actually valuing the well-being of other people. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. See, teachers and parents, can you imagine like a, a dad who when he comes home, um, he uses his leadership for himself. Hey, when I come home, you make sure that there's food on the table and that it's cooked well. Let's line the, kink, the kids up in the entryway and let's have each of them have like the first one could have a drink and the next one could have something else. And as I walk through the door, you make sure you give me the credit that I'm due because I'm the leader. Could you imagine a house like that? The bottom line is a lot of people think that's what leadership is. Versus a dad who walks through the door and he is the leader and he exercises leadership. But he doesn't exercise leadership for himself. He walks in the door and when the family says, yeah, I don't like Sunday school. I don't like this person at church. I don't like this person over there. Let's not go to church anymore. Let's go do this other thing instead. And that dad says, no, this is what God says and this is what we're going to do. Uh, where he's exercising leadership, not for himself, for the spiritual well-being of others. See, it is devastating when we pick leaders who do things for themselves instead of the well-being of others. We're all supposed to be servant-hearted and caring. And here's a fifth thing. It's just people who are happy when God gets the glory when you're not noticed, when you're forgotten, when you worked hard and you get no credit, it's people who are happy about that. that. Those are all marks of humility. Those are all things that we need to work on developing in our life. And I'll just tell you, the church is a totally different place when that's how people function. When, when we look, when those are the things that we're looking for before we put people in positions of leadership, the church is a totally different place. And you want to know something? The church will never be perfect. There are things on this list of the Pharisees and the scribes and those kinds of things I see in myself sometimes. I see it in others sometimes. We need to be willing to see those things, to repent of those things. And as a group, we need to be helping each other 
be the people that God wants us to be. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for, Lord, just this powerful example of being careful about which leaders we choose. Lord, we need to do that. But Lord, we also need to be careful about what kind of people we are. Lord, we want to represent you. We want you to get the glory and credit. And Lord, I pray that this church would have a powerful ministry because it's focused on your truth. Lord, we, we are humble and we know that you do know and we don't. And Lord, that we, we look at people who are broken and who are hurting and we love them and we point them to you. Lord, help what we do never to be about us. In your name, amen.